most autistic people will have struggled with feeling pressured to act or to be less autistic or non-autistic in a non-autistic world. I've spoken in previous episodes about why I think it's harmful, damaging for us to suppress our true nature, our true expression, that ultimately we lose not only a sense of self, but also that sense of integrity that is really essential for experiencing life for real, experiencing the grief and the joy, the full spectrum, basically, of of human life, of humanity. Living without that kind of internal integrity where we actually know what our own values are and we are able and have the conditions in our life to be able to connect with ourselves, connect with our values and to express ourselves and, and tell the truth about who we are is really, I think, the key to any form of fulfilment. And without it, I don't think it's possible for us to feel connected to ourselves, feel connected to our, our true feelings, our true expression, our true creativity, our gifts. It's sort of living like a ghost. And that's not really living, in my view. But it is the reality for a lot of us. A lot of us are living like ghosts and have been for a long time. So the question is, how do we figure out who we are so that we can start living for real? What I was thinking I would do for this episode is simply share the questions I've asked of myself just before finding out that I'm autistic, given that I knew that this was an issue for me. And since finding out I'm autistic, now that I know for sure what it was that was stopping me feeling like a person, knowing myself, knowing my values, the fact that I was a masked autistic and had been for many years. The questions I have asked myself through trial and error, through instinct. I didn't have a workbook. I got to these questions through despair, confusion, being completely lost. And bit by bit, it's been a slow iteration. But I think I'm at a point now where I can recap some of it. I don't think I'm done. I think there's probably more to uncover I don't feel like I've completely figured out exactly how I'll be fulfilled, but I've made a lot of progress. I guess what I first put my finger on was what really wasn't working in the past few years and what was making me feel like I was out of alignment with myself out of alignment with any values that I thought I had. Um, And I I have made reference to being out of alignment and feeling 
like I didn't have integrity. And I started with the fact that I didn't feel like an actual entity, an actual person. I started with the fact that I understood that I was codependent, which meant I didn't have a point of view. I didn't know what my values were. So I tried to remember. I tried to remember what my values are. And I had been disconnected from them for a long time. And so I was trying to remember back to my youth. When did I first understand what my values were? And like many young people, my values made themselves known in opposition to the values that I was seeing in adults and other people around me that I realised I did not agree with. So I went, I kind of went back to that memory and I thought to myself, as a teenager, in response to the inequalities and the injustices that I could see in my own community, I remembered that I had made a commitment to myself at that age that I would dedicate my life to being of service, to doing some kind of work that addressed some, any of the inequalities that I could see and that I believed no one should be left behind. I didn't have language of vulnerability or inequalities or anything like that, but I felt as a young person that it is inexcusable in our society for people who have nothing and no one and clearly have complex experiences and are not choosing to be struggling and sleeping on the street, etc. It's inexcusable for individuals to be left behind by the rest of society. So I kind of started there and I thought, okay, So what does this mean for my day-to-day now? Am I living that? Am I leaving people behind as a friend, as a family member, as a manager? And I could see that I was not living my values as just described. And I could see that the barrier to living my values was the fact that I no longer felt able to advocate for myself or anyone else. And I remembered that there had been times in my earlier life where I had been able to do that. So it became important to me to enable myself and to seek the conditions that enabled me to become closer aligned with my values. And as I have discussed in previous episodes, learning about nervous system, trauma responses, rejection sensitivity, regulation, dysregulation, codependence, all of those things were various different keys and portals into coming back into alignment. So instinctively, 
without an awful lot of the knowledge that I've got now, I understood that I needed to start identifying the actual actions that I could take, the actual things that I needed in place in my life in order to be the most relaxed, peaceful, confident, assertive, happy, feeling, self-compassionate person that I could be. And that's when I started exploring and trying to remember and trying to think back in my life. Had I ever felt those things? And how was I feeling those things? What did I have in place at those times? And the truth is, most of my memories around ever feeling any of those things were from really, really early in my life, before I started becoming dissociated and detached and disconnected from myself and everyone else around me. I thought about when in my childhood had I ever felt really free and I'm very mindful that having ever felt like this at any point in life is a privilege because not everybody can pinpoint a time in their life when they felt free and safe because you can't feel free if you don't feel safe. And I was able to pinpoint a time when I felt free and safe as a small child And a very specific memory that came to mind was the very specific experiences of feeling free that I had that were very specifically connected to time outdoors in a natural environment. And again, this was also a privilege because I grew up in the early part of my life in a rural area. So I had access to a natural environment. I had specific memories, not at my home, but at the home of a little boy that I was friends with when I was five, six years old, whose family were much less protective than mine, and who allowed him and his big brother to go playing in fields that had a stream running through it and big trees quite far from their house. We were really little and the family was Scandinavian. I don't know if there's anything in that. Um, Probably there is. I think they might have felt more connected. Um, And in fact, the mother of this little boy uh, worked outdoors. She was a landscape gardener. So I remembered feeling free running wild in a rural place and playing in the water and climbing the trees and feeling free, feeling alive, even at that little age. And that was a feeling that I wanted to regain. And I thought, well, a really obvious way to do that is to start going out into nature. And again, I am lucky, I'm privileged now, because I have access 
two natural spaces. I live in a semi-rural area and I think a lot about how important it would be for autistic people and actually people who have experienced any form of trauma, any form of mental health issues, to have access to green space, natural space. So that was that was a first piece that I identified. And I remember writing it down on a post-it note and putting it on the wall and thinking I was I didn't have the language then of these are my needs. At this point it was I was kind of just identifying things that I liked things that would be good to have back in my life again as a sort of nice to have. So I I put that on a post-it on the wall. Then I also was thinking, right, when have I ever felt joyful? When have I ever actually connected back into that exuberance that I know I had as a little kid? Trying to think about, you know, were there times where I could remember myself feeling in any way carefree or laughing or feeling that kind of just warm euphoria inside the body in response to something. And I thought, well, yes, I know I love moving my body to music, particularly live music. I like to go to live music. I'm incredibly unsystematic about it. I never pay any attention to what's on. But there are a handful of events that I've been to that I can think, I can remember, okay, at this wedding, at this gig that my friend took me to, at this DJ night that another friend took me to, I felt the music in my body, I danced, and actually I, I will have it will have been stimming. I I dance with repetitive movements. And those moments were joyful. So that was another post-it on the wall. Dancing like that to music like that. And I like heavy, bassy, loud music. So that was another thing where I was like, okay, it would be nice to have some of that in my life from time to time. I also realised, which I've mentioned before, that I was starting to realise that colour was important And I was noticing that my house was very bland colour-wise and my clothes were very bland colour-wise. And so I started slowly introducing the occasional tiny thing that was colourful. A colourful mug, a colourful scarf, a colourful pair of earrings. And then I started realising that it didn't have to be tiny little things in then a sea of beige and a sea of grey all of my things could be colourful. I could wear head-to-toe colour. I could paint my walls colourful. I could have colourful pictures on the wall. That was a total revelation. Giving myself permission to go for it with colour was a really big deal for me. It was almost like colour represented frivolity and immaturity, which is incredible now that I think about it. I've always been attracted, you know, the likes of Frida Kahlo, whose whole life, her whole philosophy 
was about using colour and tapping into colour to make sense of identity and trauma. So it's weird that it took me so long. But colour is a massive part of my life now. It's a huge source of wholesome, nutritious dopamine for me. And I'm realising how affected I am by being in a bland room. It actually really contributes to my sense of hypo arousal if I'm in a bland room. So, yeah, that was another sort of post-it on the on the note, which was, you know, have colourful things around me. But it took me a while to figure out I could have loads of colour around me. And then, you know, other things started going on the post-it notes, which were, oh, it feels good to sing. I knew it felt really good to move my body. I've always known that. I discovered yoga from a book, actually. My mum had a big book of yoga when I was like 10. So I taught myself yoga at home. I didn't go to classes until I was an adult. But I've always got a a kind of a sense of euphoria from stretching, from doing yoga poses and not even realising that the whole point of yoga is that it's a moving meditation. It clears the mind out. It quiets the mind. For me, anyway, I'm quite lucky in that respect. I had turned to yoga in times of real crisis, actually, as an adult when I was really, really struggling. And I found that yoga flow, it is a real moving meditation. I found it grounding. It brought me a sense of peace and it feels great. It releases endorphins. So that was that's personal to me. There may be other forms of finding kind of that healthy endorphin release, you know, a healthy increase of dopamine that that isn't one of those kind of surges, dopamine surges that we get from addictive activities. Um, and I knew also that I'd always got real joy from reading beautifully written literature Not every poem is going to set me alight, but I did remember that as a child, as a teenager, reading a beautifully written short story or poem or novel really does make my heart sing. It really does make me very happy. So again, another post-it note. I mean, and eventually I realised these are not occasional nice-to-have things that I like. These are things that are an absolute core fundamental requirement to me having any joy and nourishment as a person in order to feel connected to myself and the world around me. They are needs, they are requirements no responsibility that I have to someone else or to my job is more important than these things because I have to live for myself first. That was a huge realisation. The really silly thing is I keep having the RuPaul quote come to mind when RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love someone else? I'd heard that a million gazillion times and thought, I wonder what RuPaul means. 
I have no idea what rapport means. I get it now. If you don't actually put the things in place for yourself, you can't feel connected to yourself. You can't care about yourself. You can't know yourself. And for me, without being able to do any of those things for myself, it was literally impossible to do any of those things for other people because I didn't have any concept of what another person was experiencing or needing or wanting because I was completely denying and ignoring the fact that I had needs and experiences myself. I was denying my own humanity and the humanity of everybody else. I had become an android and I was treating myself like an android and other people like androids. I also then thought about, this came a little bit later, I thought, what do I find fulfilling? Is there anything that I have had experience of doing where I feel like I'm in flow? I don't know if you've heard that expression. I I chanced upon the concept of Dharma. I'd been sort of looking at Ayurvedic practices, grounding practices, because I didn't realise then that I was having interoception issues and feeling disconnected from my physical self. But I landed upon some Ayurvedic practices and thought, well, that's relevant to how I feel. So this this stuff was helping ground me in my body. But there was an element then from the Ayurvedic tradition called Dharma. And I, in, and I found a woman called the Dharma Coach wrote The Dummy's Guide to Ayurveda. Um, and I was really interested in that idea of Dharma. Loads of people have heard of Dharma. There's, there's a, a Japanese version as well called Ikigai. These sorts of approaches are about identifying your, uh, your gift, your purpose, uh, the, the, the goal, the dream being that you can find a way to make a living through doing the thing that you do that you're gifted at and that you're in flow when you do it. And therefore, that's perfect because you're you're giving the world your gift and you're making a living for it. So it never really feels like you're working. So that's the dream, isn't it? And I was thinking to myself, well, I really like doing analysis. So I guess policy analysis is my purpose. But purpose is not the same as your job or your career or or a defined job. It's more about it's more about a thing, a type of thing that you can do that is quite special to you. So I struggled with this. I ended up having a one-off session with a coach who had knowledge of neurodivergence. The coach gave me a worksheet and then we had a conversation about it. And I found myself getting really excited describing how I feel when I'm articulating the truth and my understanding of the truth. And I do that in writing. I do that in my job when it's about making a case for change. It's about advocating to policymakers or accountable decision makers that they're doing it wrong and that a change needs to happen. And this is why. And this is how it would address issues that real people are actually facing in their real lives if policy was changed. So I really enjoy telling that truth in writing and if I get invited to be on a panel or speak at an event, 
I, f- I feel impassioned. I feel like I'm able to articulate. I often feel like I'm connecting. I know that I have had impact doing these things in the past. I was also thinking about some other areas in my life where I had done this. So I was part of a women's book group that was very focused on sort of self-help and self-improvement and we didn't have any of the language but actually a lot of us probably were neurodivergent and had experienced complex trauma around that and were looking for various different approaches and frameworks and reading lots of books around these things and I was realizing that in that forum as well I felt like I was in flow and that I had something to offer where I was piecing together the things that I was figuring out and sharing that with that group. You know, it was not in any kind of professional basis and I'm not a coach and I'm not a therapist. I was speaking my truth in a way that I knew was resonating for other people and people were telling me that they found that helpful. And that's really what led to me doing this podcast as well, was when I got even more knowledge and even more of a framework and figured out even more stuff. I was really compelled to try to articulate and try to share, to tell my truth, knowing that it would be the same as or similar to the truth of other people and to try to connect that way and to contribute to kind of making sense together. So I've realised that These are the things that I do that aren't about my contracted job. They're not about my employment. A long way down the line, or even a short way down the line, it would be really brilliant if I could shift the focus of my, how I make a living closer to the things that I do that I'm in flow. But actually, I'm kind of already doing that. I'm already bringing more of that into my actual employment my actual employed job as well, as well as more of my integrity, which is really crucial because I'm a colleague and a manager. All of these things that I'm now starting to prioritise in my life, piecing together what I could remember from earlier stages of my life, bringing those things through into my now life, as well as all of the aspects of caring for myself and looking after my sensory needs and diet. And I'm now taking various supplements that I've learned are useful. Um, You know, all of these things together are starting to actually reveal, because it's about having the, the, the right conditions, reveal the person that I really am. It's not, re- it's not about deciding consciously, okay, who do I want to be and then try to be that? Because that's kind of another form of masking or acting. You have to sort of go right back, strip back and build back up again and then see who's coming through. So now I feel like I'm kind of meeting myself as an adult, as a grown-up version of that little girl before she started suppressing her real self and shutting down and 
being a blank slate and then pretending to be someone else through doing this this building up. But it will be different for every person. All the things I've described aren't necessarily going to be the same things for you. They'll be completely different. I do realise that some people are going to really struggle to find and build their sense of self using memory because there may not have ever been joyful or peaceful or safe or free times. But I hope that there is something in some of what I've described that is of some use. I wanted to finish with this episode, this mini-series, this mini-season, because I think this is the most important stuff. I've been thinking about how there is a lot of value in reviewing a life understanding the experiences, understanding the loss and the grief as part of the healing. It's a very important part of the healing. But I also really want to look to my future and our collective future. I'm quite motivated now to think about what are the opportunities for bringing together our collective knowledge and wisdom to to share that with others and, and potentially produce resources for others as well as freely accessible and non-gatekept as possible i think far too much far too much of what we need is gatekept intentionally or not by institutions and professions um really unnecessarily because we actually have a wealth of knowledge and wisdom between us And I think we can be making much more of it together for our collective community. So this is where I'm at now. I have, as I think I've mentioned before, now created an online community called Autistahood. Uh, It's on the Discourse platform and it's free to join. And it's already quite active. It's a very non-judgmental safe space to explore all aspects of being an autistic adult if you're listening to this and you're autistic it doesn't matter at all whether you uh, are self-identified or have had a professional diagnosis I think it's not relevant at all Um, so you're very welcome to come into that online forum and this is the kind of stuff that we talk about in there and share resources and share our experiences and share what we figured out So let me know. You can email me through autistic at 40 at outlook.com. You can find me on Instagram, which is the autistic at 40 Instagram account. I am on Twitter, but less active on there. I much prefer Instagram. And let me know. I need your email address. Your email address won't be used for anything else other than to add you to the forum. Okay, let me know. Take care. Bye.